Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to another episode of A People's Theology. I'm the host of A People's Theology, Mason Meninga. In this episode, I talk with Tara Tang. Tara is an embodiment coach and somatic practitioner. She is also the author of the recently released book, Your Body is a Revolution, Healing Our Relationships with Our Bodies, Each Other, and the Earth. You can get connected with Tara and her work in the links in the episode description. If you're a fan of A People's Theology, it would bring me no greater joy than if you gave the podcast a five-star rating and review. Tell me what you like about the podcast. Also, if you feel so inclined, please support my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Meninga. There are multiple tiers with wonderful rewards, including papers I write to even a book club. Enough of my rambling. Enjoy more inspiring and liberating theology.
Today we have Tara Tang with us. And Tara, I'm so excited to chat a little bit more about your brand new book. Uh, Tara, you do so many cool things in the world. You are an embodiment coach uh, and a somatic practitioner. And I'll just say you have one of the coolest stories just in general. Like uh, you don't dive so much into it, like in terms of like all of the other things that you got going on in your life. Um, but like just a little bit ago, I ended up just you know searching your name and then realized, oh, there's a whole Wikipedia page about your story and who you are. And it's just amazing. So anyway, you are uh, just doing really, really cool things in the world. But I want to know from your perspective, mm. who is Tara Tang to Tara Tang? Oh, man, such a good question. Um, I I think I more than anything, like I am rediscovering new parts of myself all the time. So mm. you asked me that question today, it will be different probably even tomorrow. Sure. And I, I love that. Like I have so much curiosity for who I am for how my journey is unfolding. The person that I am today is not at all the person that I was when that Wikipedia mm-hmm. page was written, right. for example, or who I was even two years ago. And I love that. I am perpetually curious. I am just wanting to taste and experience all that life is. I want to 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 embrace the full spectrum of my humanity and my mm-hmm. human experience and and welcome back all of these pieces of myself. So I, yeah, I think that that's the the biggest part of who I am is perpetually curious and hungry for more all the time. I love that. I love that. Well, one of those things that you have done in your life is you are now an author of an incredible book called Your Body is a Revolution. It just was released recently. Uh, The subtitle is great, too. It is it's uh, healing our relationships with our bodies, each other and the earth unbelievable mm-hmm. book it's so great i'm really excited to chat more about it uh but uh, before we talk like about kind of like the contents of the book i'm really interested yeah. in just what you learned about um not only yourself but just what you learned in the book mm-hmm. writing process and so obviously mm-hmm. there's like some theology in here obviously there's a lot of your story that's in here there's a lot of different mm-hmm. things about like colonization that's in here right there's a lot of different pieces that you're talking about yeah. can you talk about like something that you learned maybe like factually or theologically mm-hmm. or historically or so but something along those lines is there anything that you learned as you were writing the book that you're like wait I had no idea about that before I have to include that in the book yeah I mean I, there was so much I think one of the things that I learned uh, through the research process of it because it's it's looking at not just my re- my relationship with my body I get so freaking vulnerable in this book and I share mm-hmm. things that I hadn't ever before um but but really looking at like historically, collectively, where have we come on our journeys with our bodies? Our bodies have been not only just criticized, um, but they've been criminalized in different places for, mm-hmm. for many different reasons. And one of the things that I hadn't been familiar with before was the ugly laws in the United States and the way mm-hmm. that if you were disabled or categorized as disformed in your body in any way, that you couldn't take up space publicly. Public mm-hmm. parks, you couldn't sit in there. You couldn't, you couldn't just you you had to be hidden right so when we think of marginalizations of bodies when we think about body-based oppression these are people that were literally pushed into the margins isolated um, and criminalized if they took up space publicly and so every injustice in the world I have found and and if you read that Wikipedia page you saw that I spent a lot of time working on human rights activist stuff I worked Mm -hmm. in parliament um, worked from a legislative perspective for many years all of these things of, of social justice, I found that every injustice in the world begins with the body. 
Mm. And that was one of my, my biggest motivations of writing this book is my relationship with my body came to, you know, I felt like I could finally be embodied myself. And this was a piece that was just missing was somatics and social justice and spirituality all brought together and things like the ugly laws, my research brought me there and I didn't know it went that deep. So when we're talking about these stigmas, when we're talking about even the idealized bodies that so many of us have this in our heads, right? Like this is where a lot of these ideas come from. And mm -hmm. so when we're pushing back and we're wanting to see change, these are real systemic things that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. I love that you begin with saying that every injustice begins with the body. I literally yeah. pretty much almost word for word, word wrote that in my thesis. I wrote my thesis last year about embodiment. And one of the things that I kind of proposed in it is, you know, we often talk about like injustice or oppression yeah. like at a systemic level or yeah. a personal level. But I also think that there is like this embodied component to injustice, to oppression as well. Yes. And we need to think about yeah. injustice and oppression in that way as well. So I really love that you bring yeah. that up right away. Yeah. And it's such a like visceral response in our bodies too when we do come across that oppression or mm -hmm. that injustice. If we've ever felt othered, our bodies feel it, right? We get that mm -hmm. whole jolt that comes right up through our nervous system. Anytime that we've been pushed aside, excluded by something, we can see it even with the way just like kids interact on the playground, right? It's a mm -hmm. very visceral experience. It's a very embodied experience. So of course, when we're looking at these things systemically, we also look at the way that it impacts the relationships we mm -hmm. have with our bodies and each other. Mm -hmm. So that's something that you kind of learned factually around, you mentioned like the ugly laws and some of those uh, injustices yeah. regarding the body. What was something that you learned about yourself as you wrote the book? Maybe, the, maybe there was something Ooh. as you're writing the book where you're like, wow, I had no idea that I had that in me. But yeah, was there something that you learned about yourself as you wrote the book that you didn't know about yourself before? Oh, there, I changed so dramatically through this process of researching, writing, every single draft and revision that I did. I mean, I started like when I wrote the proposal and put it out there that this was something that I was thinking about, like, I was very firmly like, I'm a progressive Christian. And I still identify as a Christian. And I don't today I identify mm. as ex evangelical now. So mm. my faith journey dramatically changed. I started mm. the process, you know, like early 2020 pandemic happened, everything that we walked through collectively through the pandemic, I don't think any single person is is like everyone has been changed. Nobody is the same as when we started that pandemic together, right. And so I, I changed dramatically through that part of that was what I saw collectively as we all experienced part of it was my own research um, even as I was writing the books but um, it really made me grapple and wrestle with some of the stuff that had already kind of been shifting within me and that was one thing that dramatically changed within me as a result that's incredible. I don't, this might be one of the first times I've, I've uh, interviewed somebody who mentions that as the thing that they learned about themselves, that they were like, you know what? Really? I'm no longer yeah. Christian. And I think that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's yeah. I, I did not expect that. And I think that that was, that's one of the things that when I, I think of like all the former versions of myself that exist, right? Because the way that I see it is with, with nervous system work, I am the age I am today and simultaneously every other age I have been so far in my life to date because my body remembers and my nervous system holds all of the memories of every experience that I have. So something from when I was six years old may pop up triggered in my nervous system at any point in time, right? It's like she still exists somewhere within me. And so it gives me so much compassion 
for all of those places I've been. And also, I think there's parts of myself that would be shocked that I am where I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, I My faith was very, very dear to me for a really long time. And it's something that I think a younger version of myself never would have ever dreamed that I would walk away from. But at the same time, my core values and my ethics have remained the same. Mm-hmm. And I really think that for, for me, the thing that actually made me shift away from the institution of Christianity was Jesus. And the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love Jesus's teachings of nonviolence. I love how embodied Jesus was. I love how with the people and how radical Jesus was to these uh, hierarchies and establishments that were built on uh, power and uh, access. And I don't see Jesus standing for those things. So I left. Mm, mm. I love that. Let's talk a little bit more, or actually, before we dive into some of the contents of the book, one of the things that I often run into when I'm having conversations about embodiment Mm. is it seems like a lot of people have different understandings of what it means to be embodied or what they mean by embodiment. So when you're talking about embodiment, when you're talking about Mm. being embodied in this book, what do you mean by that? Oh, such a good question. Um, And you're right. I feel like everyone has a different definition for it. And I think that's Mm -hmm. because everyone has a different relationship with their bodies. And so for me, embodiment is just the lived experience of actually living in your body, present in your body. It's a continual practice and it's an in the moment thing. And I know it sounds so, so simple, So like, well, everybody is in our bodies all the time, aren't we? Mm -hmm. But really, Mm -hmm. so much of us live in our heads all the time. And we're using our bodies just to get from point A to point B. I mean, to the point that we actually say things like, oh, it's our body's just a meat suit or, you know, it's mind over matter. How often have we heard somebody say, oh, mind over matter? Well, that's disembodied, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, embodiment is the practice of realizing that my body is the primary experience of how I navigate the world. She is my greatest ally. She is a source of wisdom, of intuition, of strength. And and anything that disassociates me from my body usually has a reason in which they're trying to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the reason why I ask is, again, like, I'm coming off of a year of doing my thesis about embodiment. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I would, would love kind of to get, read. Oh, I will glad, gladly send it to you. But yeah, Amazing. one of the things that I get a little maybe like annoyed or frustrated about like the embodiment conversation is a lot of times what it means for like the way a lot of people are using the word embodiment or using the word embodied mm. is they're just meaning like just do something like physically like what they mean like you know do yoga or you know whatever like get you know go go outside and take a walk or whatever but they like they what they're meaning is something like where it's like a physical activity that you're doing and I think that's all well and great but I'm more curious about like what is actually happening physiologically in our bodies when we do these sorts of things like you know you bring up Resma McKinnon's work around like epigenetics and the like the actual like physiology that changes when people experience like racial Mm -hmm. trauma for example Mm -hmm. those are to me the more interesting things about embodiment than like the actual like just do this thing physically or whatever. So anyway, that that's part of the reason why I was really curious about how you're using embodiment and throughout. And I love that you're saying that because I noticed the same thing too. And so maybe, um, maybe a year and a half to two years ago, I was pondering the same things in my online community on Instagram. And 
I had somebody reach out to me and we started a conversation. Um, they have a disability and we were, we were talking about, well, what does that look like if you're living in a body that is disabled, mm-hmm. right? Or that has different abilities, different challenges, different chronic illnesses, maybe. And one of the things that I really strongly, I feel really strongly about, I included a whole chapter in my book on was that if we are doing embodiment or presenting embodiment in a way that is ableist, we're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. because it's not about like, look at all the amazing things that my body can do. And like, yes, I want to celebrate that. And I feel very present in my body when I'm dancing, for example. Right. But if that is the definition of embodiment, it's incomplete. It's mm-hmm. inaccurate. It's ableist. It's, it's not correct. Mm-hmm. And so how can you be embodied? Even if you cannot leave your bed, you can still have a deeper relationship with your body, even with all the frustrations or the grief or the pain or the agony that might exist there presently. It is important to acknowledge that as well. Um, And you can be just as embodied as somebody who's like, look at how I can dance and look at the way that I can climb rocks and mountains and do these amazing feats of strength. You can still be just as present in your body and just as embodied, even with a chronic condition. I have a chronic condition as well. And so this chapter on embodiment and disability justice is really, really close to my heart as well. Mm -hmm. And for the very reasons that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the very beginning of the book. And I love the way Mm -hmm. you start it where you you talk about some of the bad theology that has fractured our relationships with our bodies. So can you talk about what some of this bad theology is and why it warps or fractures our relationship with our bodies? Yeah, I mean... Oh, there's, there's so much. I grew up as a pastor's kid. I grew up like deep in like small town, conservative evangelical culture. And so Mm -hmm. the things that I was raised hearing was like, you are desperately wicked. Um, You can't trust your body. It's like this slippery slope down to hell. Mm -hmm. Um, Purity culture is, you know, a lot of people are talking about the purity movement now, which came to its, its height in the nineties, two thousands, when many of Mm -hmm. us were in our adolescence that said things like true love weights and save, save sex for marriage. And not only was it, abstinence only education but there was this policed and enforced modesty culture that Mm -hmm. we really didn't get to choose or opt in or opt out of it was very much enforced um and so it taught us that our bodies are bad it taught us that our bodies are something that we have to distrust and really in order to survive in these really high control spaces we had to distance ourselves from our bodies because that was what was decided was pure good holy And we would be isolated if we had this connection with our bodies and definitely with our sexuality um, that anybody else deemed as bad. And and it was a very, for me, in my experience, um, growing up in a small town in a Baptist church, like it was very white dominated as well. So I also didn't see a lot of other racialized bodies. I didn't see a lot of mixed race bodies like myself being biracial, you know, and so there was a lot of very complicated experiences there because representation also tells us what is good or right or idealized or how we ought to aspire to be right and Mm -hmm. and so it was sometimes the theology that was said but just as harmful was the theology that was unsaid Mm. but very much normalized Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean there i I also grew up in conservative evangelicalism Mm -hmm. in the 2000s and yeah there very much is this emphasis that you know the 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 flesh is sinful the 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 flesh is is evil. And, uh, yeah, you really begin to distrust your body and like 
we've talked about, it fractures that relationship with our bodies. It does. And, it's uh, traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. And even for my own personal story, like part of the reason why I ended up leaving evangelicalism was Mm -hmm. or actually really the main reason or at least the beginning of it was because I started to feel that in my body, I started to feel this disconnect between what I was taught with purity culture and what I was actually experiencing in my body as a teenager. And I was like, this, this doesn't make sense anymore. It doesn't work for me anymore. And that was like the first little kind of uh, slippery, you know, it was the first part of that slippery slope that ended up changing everything for me. Um, um, but yeah, yeah, it all really came down to my my body started to experience mm. this disconnect with what I was being taught theologically. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that was the thing that was interesting for me as well, too. Looking back now that I know the way that my body communicates to me through sensations in my nervous system through you know when we have that feeling that we often reference of like you know that like feeling in your gut right where you like you drop into your gut or you feel like your stomach's all twisted and in knots noticing the way that my body would hold on to tension when I was in these like very high control religion conservative evangelical spaces my body was telling me something was off the whole Mm -hmm. entire time but I had been taught to distrust my body so I didn't know how to pick up on the signals And then everybody that I was taught to submit to, to obey um, the authorities over me, whether that be my parents, uh, my Sunday school teachers, youth pastors, church pastors, all of these people who are like, these are the people who have the answers and they are the ones that you need to listen to. Don't trust yourself. Listen to these people. I mean, looking back, not only was my body screaming from the inside the whole time, my my whole tension in my body, the chronic stress, the, my nervous system, you know, being all out of whack, but even physical symptoms. Like I used to have eczema all over my arms, all over my hands because of the, the weight of my, of of all of this bad theology that my body was screaming out under saying like, Mm. there's something off here. And as a child, not having the autonomy or the ability to question any of these things. And when I did question them being completely dismissed, you know, looking back, I can see how harmful it was and how abusive it was. But at the time, especially as a young person, I didn't know any differently. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I it's really interesting you bring up the eczema part of your story. Mm-hmm. I, I find it so interesting the way that our bodies are able to navigate the abstract in our mm-hmm. lives. Like abstract yeah. things about, you know, like the idea that your flesh is sinful mm-hmm. is an abstract yeah. idea. Yeah, it, is. it gets it gets mediated through our bodies and our bodies because of that react or respond to it. And that to me is super, super fascinating. You know, it comes back to even like Resma McKennan's work around yeah. racial trauma and how that yeah. uh, gets a, a, the the sort of symptoms or signs that racial yeah. trauma is happening within a body. It's fascinating how something like racism, this massive abstract idea that obviously gets um, utilized by mm. certain people will then be able to be mediated through our bodies and then our bodies respond accordingly yeah. and i just find that so fascinating that our bodies are Absolutely. able to respond to abstract things like that anyway i, I yeah. maybe have thoughts over on that 
No, I, I, I think that that's absolutely 100% accurate. That's true in the research that I have done as well. And also the clients that I work with, I hear similar stories all the time. Mm -hmm. So I hear a lot of, I mean, a lot of people come to me that are reclaiming body liberation, or reclaiming their relationship with their bodies, undoing all of this toxic theology um, and the impacts of things like patriarchy and colonization and white supremacy that is steeped into our culture. Um, a lot of people are, are, undoing the effects of purity culture. And so they come in to work with me. And so one of the, some of the things that I see in addition to what I'm hearing you say is I'm also seeing like higher rates of sexual, what we would classify as sexual dysfunction. Um, but mm -hmm. I really see that as like sexual trauma as a result of purity culture, because it mm -hmm. is traumatic. Um, I'm seeing a lot of things like vaginismus, higher rates of vaginismus that my clients are, are dealing mm -hmm. with. So we often work in partnership with um, pelvic physiotherapists. And also my work in the past before I started with somatics was I worked as a birth doula. So seeing a lot of those same crossovers overlapping um, with the way that our bodies respond to things. And also seeing things, you know, like uh, panic attacks, anxiety all the time. You know, I, again, remember growing up in like the nineties, two thousands and, and there was so much like, you know, like satanic, satanic panic in the nineties, two thousands. Right. And like evangelicals just being terrified of everything. And then now you see so many people who are older, who are deconstructing of their Christianity, who are deconstructing purity culture and seeing the way that like, oh my gosh, my anxiety is tied into the fact that like, as a child, like the number one book was the left behind series. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we are not that we were going to be like left behind because the world was going to end and all of these things were happening. And, and like, I was constantly fearful and afraid. And so of course my body holds on to those things. Of course, mm -hmm. my body holds on to all the teachings of purity culture and that I need to close up and I need to like protect against sexual, um, what is it? Uh, I can't remember the word right now. It's totally left me, but like, you know, like arm yourself with the full armor of God against like sexual immorality. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, of course, now my body doesn't want to open up when I'm in a loving like partnership and I feel safe with this person, but my body, my nervous system is still holding on to the teachings of when I was like 11 years old. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it, wild. It, it sort of connects to my next question, where in the middle mm. of the book, you talk about the ways that bodies are politicized and oppressed. Yes. And I think yes. this brings up a really important point that how we understand the body is not just something that is biological. Uh, our bodies are also socially constructed and therefore yeah. they're politicized and then even yeah. oppressed. And yes. so, for example, there, um, uh, there are people who have more melanin in their skin mm -hmm. than other people, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that they're inherently inferior just because they have more totally. melanin uh, in their skin than others. Uh, but we've socially, the, the world has been socially constructed in such a way where yes. that is the perception of people. Yeah. Or, and, and that's how we're going to treat people who have more melanin in their skin than others is by treating them as if they're inferior. And so see how like there's, there's a biological component in, in to yeah. our bodies, but then also we're we're socially constructing a world it. based yes. on that biological component. And I find that really yes. interesting. So can you talk about uh, a little bit, just maybe some of your thoughts around like the ways mm. that our bodies are also socially constructed along with mm -hmm. the biological component that is involved with our bodies? Yeah. I mean, 
I, I, you, you, you said it so perfectly, right? Like these are natural things that happen. Our bodies have different shades of skin tones, different shapes that they come in, all these different things. And this is why we say like, also the, the, every injustice begins with the body, right? Ageism, mm -hmm. sexism, homophobia, transphobia, um, all of these different things, right? Racism to all of them they all come down to the differences of our body. Our body should be the great equalizer. We all live in a body. We all have a body from the moment we're born to the day that we die. There is no other way to experience our humanity. And yet we have chosen instead of it being the thing that unites us, we've chosen for it to be the thing that has separated us because patriarchy, colonization, white supremacy, these ideas that were used to build the institutions that we still see kicking around today that's how they created this hierarchy of, of bodies and hierarchy of power who had power who did not right mm. and so yes there there are, there's a biological component of them but we've used them to distance and separate ourselves and the thing that i find is so interesting now is that in 2023 we're having these conversations where we're calling a spade a spade and we're saying like hey look this is the way that we built our institutions this is the way that we function and these are these are some of the harmful things that have come out of it because they were built in a time when we were very like unjust towards one another right if we're pointing these things out and we're we're calling it for what it is i notice that there's this pushback where people say well why are you being so divisive why mm. are you we should just be focused on unity why are you calling all of this out like you're the one who's the problem and you're being divisive but it's like we want to skip straight to like oh this happened and now we're healed but healing is really a process and right now, I feel like collectively as a global community, we're in this really sticky, messy middle of trying to grapple with the past and also get to a point of reconciliation, get to a point of forgiveness, get to a point of, of being able to see ourselves in our humanity, in our embodiment, in our bodies, but then also to see one another as fully human in our mm -hmm. bodies, right? And so that's why... In, in my book, I look at these things and I look at how interconnected they are, you know, and how I'm so grateful that there are there are movements like body positivity. I'm so glad that we're having these conversations. I think it's a really helpful place to start for so many people, but it cannot be enough just in and of itself. It's so great that we feel good in our bodies or even neutral in our bodies, because I know for a lot of people that is a hard fought battle just to get to that place. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, I, when I am in right relationship with my body, when I am no longer speaking hateful things over my body, when I am accepting all the pieces of myself, I'm in communication with my body, I'm listening to the wisdom of my body, all of these things, the embodied boundaries that my body is speaking to me, caring for my body, seeing my body as a source of wisdom, all of a sudden, rehumanizing myself in my body and peeling back all of the harmful ideologies, now it helps me see you and your body with more curiosity and compassion. It makes me see somebody else in their body with more curiosity and compassion because i i look at the way our bodies have been racialized i look at the way our bodies have been marginalized i think well maybe there's more that's going on under the surface in that person's experience that i can't see right now and i can get curious about that now and that can start to be the bridge that brings us back together if i immediately take the other path and i just say oh well we're being divisive why are you bringing these things up because it's uncomfortable for me to look at well i can never cross that bridge over into curiosity and actually wonder what's happening in that person's life then. Mm -hmm.
Mm-hmm. That really connects to this idea that I've had floating around in my head for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. But in, it kind of actually really connects well with what you said before about every injustice starts with the body. And mm-hmm. so if, if injustice starts with the body, then justice should also start with the body. And yeah. It, to me, it seems like the conversation about embodiment, whether mm-hmm. it's it's simply implied or it's made explicit, I think the conversation around embodiment should always have a political dimension to it. Like it's not just enough for us to have this embodiment conversation and not yeah. understand the ways that our bodies have been politicized and therefore we should have Absolutely. a politic regarding. And so, um, you know, it, to me, it's, it's not just enough for like a white person to say, Hey, I'm, I'm embodied and being embodied means I'm going to embrace like being white or something like mm-hmm. I, it like, clearly like we think of like that's not how we want the embodiment conversation to go so clearly there's at least some political dimension to uh embodiment and so uh yeah i'm curious uh if you could like flush that out a bit about like how you think we should how politics should play Mm. a part in or what kind of politics should we have when we have these conversations about embodiment um so yeah can you flush that out a little bit Pun intended. Yeah. So my my politics comes right back down to my values and my ethics, which is always leave people better than they found them as, mm. as best as I can. Right. And this goes to everybody and everything. Uh, if even if it's like the barista in Starbucks or the cashier at my grocery store. Right. Like I want to treat everybody with dignity and respect. And so my politics is informed from that same place. And so when we, again, humanize people and we look at at them through this common lens of embodiment, where how can we be more human? How can we be more humane? How can we humanize our bodies? How can we humanize our politics, right? Because so much of this has really been co-opted by corporations. It's been co-opted even by ideologies, right? By businesses, ideologies, all of these things. And so how do we actually get back to being human, right? For me, the body is my way forward through all of that. And so yes, you're right. Like I want people to be able to celebrate being white, like half of me is white, right? And so like, should we feel shame for that part of ourselves forever? No. But also we don't exist solely, right? Like we all exist in connection, there's interconnectedness to all of us, right? And so This is why, again, coming back into my relationship with my body must then lead in these ripples to somewhere else. It must then make me be curious of somebody else's experience in their bodies. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine recently, and um, we were were talking about this like messy middle about racism and embodiment and all of these different things. And one of the things that she said that was really interesting, because I brought up colonization and like, we have to talk about the history of colonization with this, like, that's where these bodies started to begin to be politicized, especially Mm -hmm. here, if we live on North America, like Turtle Island, like we have to talk about those things. And one of the things that she said that was really interesting, because she has found her her lineage goes back to Celtic roots. And she was saying like, well, but my and my people were colonized, like, before they came and colonized everybody else here too. Mm -hmm. And I think that those are interesting things also to remember, right? Because um, there, there can be like, we don't want to dip over into like white supremacy or white nationalism. We don't want to dip into any of those. And we also don't want the pendulum to swing the other way as well too, because none of that would be just, none of that would be in right relationship. And so how do we do that? I think that we really do have to look at with curiosity 
what is colonization? What are the effects of colonization? How did, how was our bodies colonized? How do we still in our nervous system, in our ideologies, in our minds, how are we still sometimes still stuck in that place of colonization? And how do we start to decolonize and peel back these layers that have, have made us into these tiny little boxes that haven't given us enough space for our humanity because they were built in a time frame that didn't care about those things. They just cared about domination, about power, and about taking over the land. This episode of A People's Theology is brought to you by United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities. Are you considering exploring your faith more deeply, or are you called to ministry but haven't found a seminary that is quite right for you? When you come to United, you join a community that is intentionally open, socially aware, and theologically adventurous. United's passion is equipping leaders to make real, lasting change in the world through their many different degree programs. Whether your vocation is in faith leadership, nonprofit leadership, academia, the arts, activism, or social entrepreneurship. And the best news is you don't have to uproot your life to attend seminary. United offers maximum flexibility to fit your schedule. Attend on campus or online, part-time or full-time. Their leading distance learning technology allows students to be active in the classroom and engaged with the United community. Want to learn more? Visit unitedseminary.edu forward slash a people's theology or click the link in the episode description and receive a $1,000 scholarship when you apply and are admitted. United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities, training leaders to dismantle systems of oppression, care for the spiritual needs of a multi-faith world, and push the boundaries of theology. There tends to be in like the colonization conversation, sometimes I've, I've noticed, where complexity is minimized or it's mm. flattened. And even for people who are racialized as white, there is this minimizing or flattening of their history, their identities. Mm-hmm. And like for me, for example, like my my grandma is a part of the Sisseton Wapatin tribe in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. So she's indigenous um, and has indigenous ancestry. And so my family has that. Right. And then also like a lot of my most of my family are Germans and Dutch. Sure. And so like there's but there's a complexity there. Right. Of yeah. having this this kind of interesting history of people who were colonized my indigenous ancestors and then also yeah. having ancestors who were the colonizers and so there's complexity there there and what's interesting about like some of the the conversations i see happening about colonization is there's tends to be like nope you're just white and that's what you are and it's like well yeah. what if my history what if my ancestry is actually more complex than that and totally. actually i think the act of colonization is to flatten and to and Everybody. minimize the complexity that is a involves with everyone. Everybody's complex in some way. Yes. And this is why it's like, how do we get back to our bodies and the stories that our bodies hold? How do we get curious of all of that? How do we have more curiosity for other people's lived experiences, like you were saying? Because you can't just see it by looking at them, right? We need more space for this complexity. We need more space for the nuance. We need more space for the stories that our bodies are carrying, right? Mm -hmm. And some of that is intergenerationally, right? And so I really appreciate what you're saying to that because you're right. Like, colonization has flattened all of that complexity and it's put people into little categories and little boxes. And I understand that it can sometimes be scary to start to pull the threads and poke around and question these boxes when we were raised, especially from an evangelical standpoint, at least from my experience, like, 
there was like, these are the answers. Like we read this book and this book tells us all, this is your like, what what did we say? Like basic instructions before leaving, before leaving earth, earth or something yep. like that. Very like Bible, Bible camp now, right? Like this, we had the book with the answers and now all of a sudden we're questioning everything, right? Mm -hmm. And that can be scary. And also at the same, same time, there can be so much liberation in that because maybe we don't have to live in these tiny boxes that don't give you the space to breathe and don't give me the space to breathe either. So like, mm -hmm. yes, there's complexity. Like half of my history, I, I would say would be very much like, early colonizers like mm -hmm. we I remember when I was 13 like my family celebrated like a hundred years on the homestead in like Manitoba <laughs> you know and so it's like Canada's not that old right so it's like they were definitely early settlers that came over from like Scotland and then on the other side my family is from like they're Chinese Singaporean my dad was born and raised in Singapore right mm. and he immigrated over here in in the 70s but like even Singapore was colonized by the British as well right and so there's all of these different threads and stories that we had and I think coming back to our bodies and noticing the way that our bodies hold trauma our nervous systems are trying to protect us and part of that protection is sometimes assimilation because it's not safe to grow up in the bodies that we're in depending on the environment that we're in Mm -hmm. So the way that people show up sometimes, even like when I look at like, oh, the model minority Asian, you know, stereotype, the model minority myth and the way that that Asians have been stereotyped, like I look at that as a trauma response. Like that mm. is a, a, our whole community. We have perfected the fawn response because we just have learned how to like fly under the radar. Nobody looks at us as a threat because we're all nurses and we're all pharmacists. And we are like, we'd make ourselves small and we make ourselves quiet and we try not to make waves. And that is how Asians have survived in North America for so long. Mm. And now you're seeing, especially after, you know, with coronavirus, such a rise in, in anti-Asian racism, you're starting to see a lot of Asians like speaking up and saying, hey, well, we're not one dimensional. There's a lot more to us. Like I have anger too, but I've learned to suppress my anger because if I'm angry, then you view me as a threat. And that mm -hmm. is deadly to me, right? And so we see the way that our bodies have held on to all of this because it hasn't been safe for us to take up our mm -hmm. full space. That's just one example, but there are many ways that all of us have done that at various points in our lives. Mm -hmm. I, I love that you bring up that example of your experience as an Asian, uh, with a person with Asian ancestry, because one of the like insidious pieces to mm -hmm. white supremacy is mm -hmm. as much as a person can conform to white supremacy, they'll never mm -hmm. be white enough. And yeah. so an Asian person can conform to whiteness as much as they'd like, and yeah. they can get by for maybe a while. But at some point, white supremacy by nature will, yeah. will uh, that person will experience uh, white supremacy because they will yeah. still not be white enough at the end of the day. Yeah. And and the insidious part of the all of this racism is sometimes we have our internalized racism as well, too. Or if you're mixed race, then you have that that like rejection from your own community as well, too, mm -hmm. from like mm -hmm. the Asian community, for example, as well, too. So being biracial, I've had to navigate the world in a very complex experience where I don't fully fit in one category and I don't fully fit in the other category. And now I'm grateful for it because fuck the categories. We don't need either of them and they're harming us all. But as a child and as a young person trying to find your community and your sense of belonging and, and not fully being Asian enough in one category or white enough in another. Oh my gosh, it is so complex. Mm -hmm. So complex. 
later yeah. on in the book, you talk about sexual embodiment and yeah. you bring up this really, really great point that I liked uh, where you talk about how a lot of conservative Christians often say that sexual liberation leads to a like free for all kind of sex. And you actually, though, bring up this great point where you say sexual embodiment does uh, something very different than this like free for all yeah. kind of sex, uh, yeah. you know, way of having sex where it's actually people are allowed and embrace the boundaries around sex yes. and they're clear about those boundaries. So it's not a free for all sex It's that people are actually clear and, and set boundaries around, uh, the kind of sex that they want and have and enjoy. So can you say more about this sexual, uh, embodiment and what it means for sexual liberation? Oh, it's so important because when I am connected to my body again, when I am, am my primary experience of the world is in my body and I am my, my greatest ally is my body, I'm checking in with my body regularly of like, how do I actually feel about this? How do I actually feel about that? Does this feel like something that I actually want and I'm excited for and I'm like, oh yes, that's the kind of sex that I want. Or is this something that I'm like, yeah, I guess I'll do it because it's a, an act of obligation or it feels like a duty to my partner or it's like, you know, we it, within purity culture, it was always like you save sex to your marriage, but then it felt like within marriage, it was a free for all. And you, you almost didn't need to check in with your partner because aren't there verses about it being like a marriage duty, right? And right. so like, there's so much abuse that can happen there. And there was never any education on like, what do you actually want? And even even with my clients, we have questions where we go even deeper. Well, what kind of sex do you want? How do you want it? Like, where do you want it? All of these different things that like, it's more than just like, do you want sex? Like check yes or no, right? But like, where are my bodies embodied boundaries so that within that space, I feel safe enough to actually let my walls down. If I can let my walls down, then now I can receive more. I can give more. I can play more. I'm not in my head. I'm actually in my body. And then I'm in the, the moment and I can experience all the goodness that can happen there, right? Mm. Like that's a completely different conversation. And it's not saying, oh, it's just a free-for-all, like I'm, we're having sex with everybody all the time and there's no rules whatsoever. No, actually, there's a lot more communication that's happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling? Do you want this? Do you like it if I touch you there? Oh, you don't? Oh, you have triggers because of experiences that you've been through that have been really scary or painful or harmful or boundaries that have been crossed for you in the past. Oh, well, I don't want you to have that experience again. So how do I listen to you to actually know you so that this can be a mutually flourishing experience for both of us. That is a completely different dialogue than mm -hmm. just like, oh, your sexual liberation just means like this, like hedonistic free for all. No, it doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I love that you bring up that piece of sexual embodiment, because like I mentioned before, my first kind of gateway into deconstruction, if you will, was the fact that I was starting to really sense uh, a frustration with purity culture in my yeah. body. And I still remember the very first time I ever had a sexual experience with someone, I was mm. like, wait, like I, I, I want more of this. And I knew it in my body mm. immediately. Like whatever I had been told about sex, about feeling guilty if I had sex before marriage yeah. and all of that, none of that was actually true in my body. Now, I still like yeah. thought it in my head, but what I knew deep right. down in my body was, wait, 
this was an amazing experience and I want to have more of it. And so it's really interesting how, again, like how how so much of my story, my own story connects with this, uh, Mm. this experience, this sexual embodiment and how my whole life changed really because of it. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you had that experience. That's the kind of experiences that I hope all of us can have Mm. because our sexuality is a part of us. Even if you're asexual, it's still Mm. a part of you that deserves to be seen and respected and acknowledged, not pushed under the rug, not shoved aside, not like we can't talk about it. We can't look at it. It's so taboo. It's so stigmatized. No, we need to talk about these things. We need to talk about these things in a safe, healthy way, because if not, if it's so on lockdown, then you are going to have people going into the shadows and what they're going to find there is probably going to be really hard harmful, Mm -hmm. probably not going to be accurate and Mm -hmm. definitely not going to be ethical. Right. Mm -hmm. And so how can we bring this more into the light as something that we don't have to be so afraid of? It's not dirty. It's not wrong. It's not shameful, but something that can be so liberating, so embodied. So like there can be so much care there. There can be so much exploration of like, oh my gosh, I just tapped into a new part of myself that I didn't know I had within me, like all of that can be within sex and sexuality, but we're just so scared that we're not even asking any questions about it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, at the beginning of the, our conversation, we talked about bad theology and how it fractures our relationship with our bodies. What would you say good theology that actually heals and embraces our relationships with our bodies? What is that good theology? What what are some of those good theological concepts or ideas that you've encountered that actually heals and uh, liberates mm-hmm. our relationships with our bodies? Yeah, I mean, within the context of Christianity, when I when I actually look at with curiosity the way that Jesus just lived and was very in his body, like didn't try to distance himself from his body, it seems like very much like of the people of the earth, um, wasn't trying to be above anybody, right? Like we always talk about like, oh, God, Jesus was like the man of the people, right? And like, yet somehow along the line, we've distanced ourselves from that, it seems Mm. like we've, we've spiritualized Jesus so much for the point that we've like sanitized him of his humanity. And I I think for me, one of the things that like made me just like look at with with so much like reverence and awe, the the just the beauty of our bodies was the fact that like Jesus lived in a womb at one point. Like Mm -hmm. Jesus entered the world through a vulva at one point. Like if the body isn't good, then then like God had the ability to just like drop a fully like human Jesus, fully like grown man on the earth if he wanted to with like whatever signs and wonders and miracles. But like, no, like Jesus came to to the earth, like through the womb, through the vulva with amniotic fluid and blood and like all of the same stuff that we do, you know? And Mm -hmm. for me, that was one of my first like introductions to embodiment was just marveling at the wonder of the body as I had my own three babies all at home. And and I was so amazed by it that, like I said, I, I went in and became a birth doula after and I sat at the bedside of so many laboring people as they welcomed their families into the world and the blood, sweat and tears. And like, you are so raw and embodied when you're giving birth, like birth, 
death and orgasm, I think are our most embodied moments because you cannot fake any of them. You cannot, Mm. it will not happen. And so many of my clients struggle to experience orgasm because they're so afraid of losing control of their body. They have their body on such lockdown that they can't release Mm -hmm. and just allow themselves to be present in their bodies and just let go of that control. Right. But that has to happen in birth, death and orgasm. And so like these things have brought so much wonder into my curiosity and the fact that like Jesus experienced birth in the same way that we did, that has, that broke my brain. And that mm-hmm. brought me in down this path of pulling at these threads and just seeing everything else that I had missed because I had been taught such a sanitized way of being human. Mm-hmm. I know you mentioned it that <laughs> it's very much not it's very messy and so amazing. You you mentioned that during the process of writing this book, you you said that you left the Christian institution. And it's interesting because I just had this video mm-hmm. maybe a month or so ago that I made this YouTube video mm-hmm. where I talk about why I'm still a Christian. And one of mm-hmm. those reasons is basically what you just described. It's the incarnation. It's the idea yeah. of God becoming flesh in the person yeah. of Jesus. And uh, because of my interest in embodiment, it seems like there is a clear uh, emphasis, mm. a clear stress within Christianity that God became a human being with a human body. And uh, that to me should liberate us all in our bodies. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think that that's so beautiful. And that's the thing that like, as much as I've walked away from the institution of Christianity, I do still find wonder in that. Mm. I'm in a place right now where I'll be honest, like, I don't know. Like looking at some of the historical facts, I'm like, was Jesus like a real man? Was he not? I'm like, I'm going to put chop it up in this category of like, I'm not fully sure, but I want to believe that like he was. And I think that there was a, a real person that lived and breathed and walked the earth and came from humble beginnings and probably had some really radical ideas about faith and humanity and was probably very politicized as well too and that the institutions of the day did not like that because he was very countercultural to what was going on and that he was politically assassinated as a, as a result and kind of ended up becoming a martyr and starting a movement that I don't know uh, an empire thought they could use to control people and mm-hmm. unify people and so that's kind of where I'm at today I really like his ideas though. And I'm still Mm -hmm. in that camp that I still really like the ideas, whether he's a myth or a mascot or a real man. I don't know. But I think that, that there are some valuable things that exist in his teachings that I would love to see us really look at and maybe peel back all of the stuff that we've added onto the idea of Jesus and Christianity and really get back to that. Because I think that he is onto something. If we if we boil it back down to like love each other and do good and act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Like when I was still kind of very much in the Christian space and was like doing the Christian speaker circuit thing in my my tw- my twenties. I mean, right there, that should tell you that I probably didn't have all of the answers, and I definitely still don't. You know, but like when I was in that space, like there there was just. 
I, I don't know. There was there was so much more that was added onto it. And I think that if we get right back down to like, what are our relationships with one another? Where are those relationships broken? Where do we need to take responsibility for the fact that some of these relationships are broken and try to seek healing instead of trying to be right? Like, I think that that would lead us to the answer. We're so caught up in trying to be right when our bodies are telling us that's not the way. It's not about having the answers. It's about being connected to one another. That's what we need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love that. Uh, second to last question, Tara. Uh, how do you hope your body is a revolution, inspires and liberates its readers? Yeah, I hope it gets people curious about what stories their bodies are holding. And I really do think that if we start with that, that that will bring us down into a journey that can be so revolutionary. If our bodies, every single one of us, no matter what category we've been placed in, every single one of us has a body that has been politicized. And if we start to pull those threads and get curious of the labels that have been slapped on the boxes and the way that we force ourselves to to survive really in these boxes that are far too small for us. I think Mm -hmm. that that is revolutionary. I think that that can change things. It can change things on a collective level, but it can change things in a one-to-one person level. Like I said, where maybe I'm going to look at my neighbors with less judgment and more curiosity about what's actually going on on the inside with them, or maybe even with my, the people in my family or my partners or my children, why did they respond the way that they did? Oh, it's because their nervous system is being triggered by something that they went through that was really traumatic for them and they don't have the words to describe it but their body is trying to communicate oh my gosh now they're not being an asshole they're actually responding out of their triggers and their traumas and that can give me so much more curiosity and compassion for someone that can change things that is profound and i hope that this book can lead us there i hope that that like this book wasn't written to give you the answers. This was written to lead you back to your body where you can find the answers. And I tell my clients this in every single consult call that we have our first introduction. It's always, I'm not your teacher. Your body is your teacher. So don't put me on some pedestal. I'm not some guru. I'm not your teacher. I'm not your new pastor. That's not my job. I'm don't give out advice. I want to I want to get you to be curious. I want you to f- to facilitate the conversation with your body and let your body lead and guide you because I really truly believe in the wisdom and intelligence of the body. And that if we just start listening to all the things that our body is trying to communicate to us, it will show us the right answers. Mm-hmm. Well, it reminds me of one of the things that we mentioned earlier, where if injustice starts with the body, then justice must start with the body as well. Yeah. And so absolutely, I, I really do think that this that, that this reorientation, this re-relationship with our bodies, this, uh, this healing, this mending of our relationship mm. with our bodies is an act of revolution and is necessary yeah. for all of the other things, all the other kind of justice that we want to see in the world. It, it, uh, it requires that. And, it, and I think it all starts with our bodies. And it would be incomplete without, you know, like I said, mm-hmm. I, I spent 10 years, I worked on Parliament Hill, I worked with a, a team that amended the criminal code twice, who passed the National Action Plan to combat human trafficking, like an amazing, worked with an amazing MP, um, MP Joy Smith, who has done really wonderful things for that for the anti human trafficking movement. I'm glad for the work that was done there. But if we're not looking at the embodiment piece, too, as a collective, and I, I see this criticism of the social justice movement sometimes, like we can swing the pendulum the other way and we can actually start to dehumanize people in an effort to humanize other people. And and that's incomplete as well too, right? And so we really need to, 
look at spirituality through the lens of the body. We need to, to remember that with our relationships with our bodies, with social justice, with all of these things that we, we that are good and noble and that we want to see. We want to see equality in our relationships. We want to see healing in our relationships. I want that. I hope most people want that. But to do it without looking at the lens through the lens of the body, coming back to the body first, because that was the source mm-hmm. of our division. If we don't go back to that, we're going to make the same mistakes just in a different way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, last question, Tara. How can listeners get connected to you and your work? And where should they get the book? Oh, my gosh. Great questions. Well, this is something I'm so excited for because I hope people get in touch. I I want to connect with people. My, my, actually, my Chinese name is Oi Kwan, and it means loves groups of people. And so I plan <laughs> I on that. doing lots of events. Like when I was writing the book, I was like, I just I don't want to be at my desk doing like my eighth round of revisions. I want to be in bookstores talking to people. I want to be in coffee shops hanging out with people. And so I have events that I do locally in my area. And I, in, I travel to other cities where I do community circles and sometimes women's circles and retreats. I'm also do a lot online. So I work with clients, like I mentioned, one-on-one online. But I also have these beautiful pockets of community on social media. And sometimes we do in uh, virtual events where we'll do things like embodied movement meditation, which I talk about in one of the uh, the chapters. We do that and we, we meet on Zoom. And it's just such a beautiful, just unifying thing, even though we're all in our little squares all across the world sometimes. It's so beautiful to see how we can like share a same experience somewhere. So people could find me there online across all of the um, social networks uh, at Miss Tara Tang. My website is taratang.com. All of my different offerings are on there. And then I'm going on tour. So I'll be hey. hitting up different cities and doing all kinds of different events. Would love to meet people and, and talk about the book. The book is available in Barnes and Noble, in indie bookstores, on amazon.com. Amazon.ca. So go get a copy. Tell me what you think. I'd love to hear if it resonates with you, if it made you think of something. Maybe even tell me if you really hated it. That's fine too. I can take it. Um, But yeah, I would love to see what it brings up for you in your body. And hopefully when you read the book, it's an embodied experience as well. There's reflection questions at the end of every chapter. Mm -hmm. There's also an embodiment prompt invitation exercise if you wanted to take it one step further and hopefully experience and really start to like digest and integrate reflect on the things that each chapter talks about I want it to be something that becomes very much an experience and not just something where we're consuming information but but can we experience it because that moves us from logical head knowledge into deep embodied experience knowledge Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. Well, I love the book, Tara. It was incredible. I'm so glad. Uh, it was one of my favorites. Obviously, as somebody who's really interested in the whole embodiment conversation totally. and movement right now, uh, this was just incredible. And so it's just another Man. one of those books I need to add to my collection of embodiment I'm type glad. of books. So thank you so much for writing it. And thank you so much for chatting a little bit more about it. Thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. If you'd like to connect with Tara and her work, you can find links in the episode description. Thank you again for listening to another episode of A People's Theology. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also, please support the podcast at my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mesa Menega. And remember, friends, 
Go and be the theology to the world that inspires and liberates.